Welcome to episode 18 of Advocacy in Court. Our topic is what to do about the rule in Brown and Dunn. Surviving the British Empire, that's post-World War II, there remains a daft rule said to be derived from the 1890s British case of Brown and Dunn. That's Brown with an E at the end. This rule is also called the Rule of Fairness or the Puttage, P-U-T-T-A-G-E, rule. At its simplest, the rule requires the defence in both civil and criminal cases to put, hence puttage, to a P-witness, prosecution or plaintiff, during the cross of that P-witness, any story that they will later extract from a D-case witness where that story is different to that just led from the P-witness during that witness's examination in chief. The reason I call it a daft rule is because, naturally, the plaintiff witness, when asked in cross-examination, will say, no, that's wrong. What I said on chief is the true position. Truly, this rule and complying with it is just giving a free kick to benefit the Pea Party and there is nothing fair about it. Now, the traditional way to follow the rule is for the D-advocate to say, I put it to you that such and such is the case, isn't it? There are two problems with this form of question. The first is is that nowadays, no one apart from the lawyers knows what the words I put it to you mean. These days, we put things down on the table or we put something there. But we don't put questions to people. And the second problem is that the actual question is sandwiched between an unintelligible start and an unnecessary end. The result is is that the question in the middle is misheard or not heard at all. Now, it happens that there's a wide range of views among judicial officers as to what the rule actually requires. Now, I've had a senior judge tell me not to waste the court time complying with it. But, as a new advocate decades ago, I lost a civil case because the judge, it was a judge alone trial, said I hadn't complied with his interpretation of the rule. And I lost despite my P opponent not either taking the objection or raising my alleged default in their closing address. At any rate, these days, I recommend the following approach to you. First, never say to a witness, I put it to you. Second, when you're complying with the rule, whatever interpretation you're using, and never comply with it at the start or the end of your cross because you cannot get any joy from the answers. When complying, say, 
I'm now going to ask you, witness, some questions so that I comply with a rule to be fair to you. You told this court such and such. Now, having put that introduction on the record, then you'll follow it with, depending on how the case is going, questions such as, question to the witness, that's your account and you will stick to it, won't you? To which they'll say, yeah. Now, at that point, I argue that I've complied with the rule. After all, what more is to be gained by any further questions by me? However, if my opponent and or the judge want me to ask more, then this is their chance to demand it. If they are silent at that time, then they can't invoke a broader interpretation of the rule later. Alternatively, if they do raise it later, then I have an appeal point if I need one. Now, if I have clear instructions from my client, and as to whether I do or I don't, more on that later in this podcast. Now, if I have those clear instructions, I might go further. Suppose, for example, that Jack and Jill are being prosecuted for water theft. Now, they didn't take any pail with them on their way up the hill. No one saw them fall, but they came back wet, dirty and bloodied. Now, a prosecution witness says in chief that they saw Jill come tumbling after and that when they saw her, she was wet. Now, A fairness compliance might include the following. Question. Now, you say you had a good view? Answer, yes. Question. That was of Jill? Answer, yes. Question. Tumbling? Answer, yes. You sure about that? Answer, yes. Sure that she was wet? Answer, yes. So you're quite committed to your account of what you saw? Answer, oh yes. Question. Now, you didn't see them going up the hill. Answer, I did not. Question, you saw no pail. Answer, I did not. Question, by the way, can you tell me the colour of the clothes being worn by the person just crossing the bridge that we can see through the courtroom back window? Answer, no, it's too far. Question, well, okay. Anyway, you say that you saw she was wet when she and Jack arrived back at the bottom? Answer, yes. So that was the first time you saw she was wet? Answer, no. I saw she was wet when she tumbled. Question, even though that was further away than the bridge I just took you to? Answer, yes. At which point you move on. Now, from the rule standpoint... The questions are asked because if either or both defendants give evidence, then they may say that they got wet as a result of a shower of rain as they came down or a broken water pipe along the way. It's true that you and I might both say that the above cross was not so much compliance with any rule but more aptly an attack upon the witness's opportunity to observe. I'd say that that is a much better basis for running that line of questions. But we haven't finished with this rule yet because there are some extra problems with the application of the rule in criminal cases. 
a problem for the defence and a different one for the prosecution. I'll start with the defence, where it arises as follows. Often, the best instructions that an accused can give their advocate is, make the prosecution prove it. Generally, a good defence lawyer must not, repeat, not, let their client tell them, the lawyer, that they committed the crime. Because if that comes out, there are fetters upon the defence lawyer thereafter. In particular, the defence lawyer cannot ask a question of any witness when the defence lawyer knows the facts to be otherwise than as postulated in their question. To do so is to mislead the court and is misconduct. Hence, the defence may be cross-examining each prosecution witness on the basis of any holes that the defence lawyer can find in the prosecution case. Those holes, as perceived by the defence lawyer, may reflect nothing other than their life experience and courtroom experience. They have had no input from the client. Now, when the prosecution closes its case, then the defence lawyer has to decide whether to recommend to their client that the client give evidence or not. The traditional position was to keep the accused out of the witness box. But this has changed in some places where if you're accused of sexual assault and you don't give evidence, then you'll be convicted because the jury doesn't care about the law, only about the political correctness that women complainants must be believed unless the defence proves otherwise. So the accused sometimes has to give evidence, even if only to turn no chance of acquittal into some chance. In these circumstances, the accused tells their lawyer their story for the very first time before they go to the witness box to be examined in chief. Now, at the point where the accused tells the lawyer their story, the lawyer knows that he or she hasn't complied with the rule. So they have to seek leave from the trial judge to have various prosecution witnesses recalled for further cross-examination in order to comply with the rule. Of course, then the prosecution gets a second chance at re-examination. Now, a good defence lawyer who has been instructed to make them prove it always tells the judge to stand down a prosecution witness after re-examination and not to excuse the witness. Stand down means that a witness or witnesses can be recalled, whereas if they've been excused, they've gone. Note that this request by the defence tells a good prosecutor and an experienced judge that the defence lawyer's only instructions are, make them prove it. A P advocate, be that a prosecutor or a plaintiff's advocate, has a very different problem. That is, does the rule in Brown and Dunn apply to them or not? Many P advocates assume that it does. Hence, when the defence goes into evidence, be it 
criminal or civil case, the P advocate then tediously complies with the rule by restatement of evidence given earlier in the P party case by one or more P witnesses. Now, just think about this for a moment. You may have seen it done, or you may have done it yourself. Let's recall that the purpose of the rule is to let a witness have a chance to comment on a contrary view. Now, during the P case, the P advocate may not necessarily know what's coming in the D case. So the P advocate cannot ask their witnesses about contrary views. That's left to the D advocate in cross-examination. However, once the P party has closed its case and the D advocate is running their case, then that D advocate, whether it be criminal or civil, knows the entirety of the P party case. It has been heard. A P party cannot split its case. It's done and dusted. Hence, it must surely be up to the defence advocate as to whether they want to ask their witness or witnesses any questions about P party evidence that is already on the record. Now, if they choose not to do so, then why should the P party have to go there at all? Let me leave you pondering that question. I sincerely hope that your generation will have parliaments abolish this wretched rule. Until another episode, that will be number 19. All the best, and bye for now.